morning and, and welcome to another AGIF podcast. Uh, today, we have great pleasure of having Mark Adams, Executive Director of Faldo Design, on the line from Seattle, Washington, United States. Good morning or good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Eric. Good morning and uh, yeah, good evening from here. Great. Um, before we go into our questions about Faldo Design and the industry, can you give us a little bit of background, uh, your uh, your history in the industry? Sure. Well, first of all, my history in Asia, I first arrived in Asia as a 23-year-old in 1987 uh, in a different industry, working in the defense industry. But um, I got involved in the golf industry starting in 1990, working on uh, sponsorship sales for a golf event in Singapore. Then in 1991, I moved to Jakarta, Indonesia with Club Corp of Asia, CCA, in a membership sales position and moved uh, to a position with IMG at a golf club in Jakarta in a similar position doing membership sales. But I think my, my real big break in my career came in 1993 when IMG was looking to open an office in Indonesia and I was selected for that position. So I became the head and started the IMG office in Jakarta in 1993, primarily focusing on uh, events and sponsorship, including golf events like the Indonesian Open and the Alfred Dunhill Masters. And then I moved with IMG to Singapore in 1998 and took over the position as the head of IMG Golf Course Services for the Asia-Pacific region, which was uh, our golf course design, golf course management, construction management. And I also was involved with IMG, continue to stay involved with uh, events and sponsorships as well. So I left, I left IMG in 2016 and decided to take a little bit of a break, not sure what I was going to do. And during the course of 2016, was contacted by uh, Nick Faudo had a few personal meetings with him. I'd known Nick for over 20 years through my time in IMG. And Nick and I came to an agreement uh, that I was going to start with him and help develop the Fado Design business, primarily in Asia and the Middle East, but a little bit in the U.S. And st I started working with Nick and uh, Fado Design at the beginning of 2017. Oh, fantastic. Um, so what is the current status of Fado Design projects in Asia right now during, during COVID times? Well, fortunately, we're staying very busy. Uh, we've got what I would say six active projects. We have two that are under construction in Vietnam. And as I said, fortunately, we've been able to continue the construction There's uh, in, in Vietnam. As I think most of the listeners know, Vietnam has done very well throughout the whole COVID-19 situation. So the, the construction in Vietnam was never totally shut down. It did slow down a little bit. So we have one near Hanoi, one project near Hanoi and one near Ho Chi Minh City that are under construction. We have a uh, Vatanak Golf Resort in Cambodia, where 18 holes are currently open for play, but the second 18 holes is now uh, finalizing the grow-in, so the construction is coming to an end there. We have another project uh, under construction in Pakistan called Rumanza Golf Club in Multan, Pakistan, and the construction there was shut down based on government policy uh, on March 23rd. However, you know, after the Ramadan and the Eid holiday on June 1st, the project has now restarted, so that's back up and running. And then from a design standpoint, we have two projects that are under design. We have one in the Middle East, which uh, we're working on design. We're not, it's not been publicly announced yet, but we're well underway and actually have almost completed the design work there, and we've been able to continue the design during these, these times. We also have a project in the Philippines where we've completed our phase one conceptual planning. That's in Clark in the Philippines. So the design work has continued. And we've been quite fortunate to have, um, you know, a number of projects that have not really stopped during these times. So you've been very busy. 
basically. Well, our team, yes. Uh, I've been busy, and our, our founder design, my colleagues on the design side have uh, have been very busy as well. So that's that's been a good thing. That's great. And so, you know, you've been, we know you've been based here in Singapore for a while, and then you went back to the States. So what adjustments have you had to make uh, to, you know, to provide your services during these times? So obviously, you're in lockdown. You can't travel like you normally do, site visits, et cetera. How have you modified your approach? Yeah, well, I'm still primarily based in Singapore. I use that as my base. I do have a home uh, in Tacoma, Washington, where I'm currently. So I was I was in Asia for, for the entire beginning of 2020, and I just actually left Singapore on May 15th. So I've only been here a few weeks. But the biggest adjustment for myself and for our founder design team has been the lack of travel. I mean, our life, um, the life of a golf course designer and the life of many of us in the golf industry is about traveling, is about site visits, is about meeting clients. So, you know, pretty much since mid-March, that has been shut down. And that's been the biggest travel is not being able to go meet clients, not being able to go to design workshops if it's under design, and most importantly, not being able to visit um, visit our sites that are under construction. So the adjustments that our design team has, has had to make is, you know, we've had to do a lot of the construction oversight and approvals uh, by using photos, by using videos, staying close contact. Now, fortunately, we're working with some very qualified teams that are on the ground. Uh, for example, at our project in Hanoi, we're working with Martin Moore and Flagstick and his team. So we have a very qualified construction management shape, construction manager and shaper who are on site and have been very good communicators. So they've been feeding, giving us weekly reports, updating us. We've been able to do some video calls. Uh, so our design team can look at bunkers, look at tees, look at drainage installation and, and you know give feedback. Similar in Pakistan, uh, Desert Group out of Dubai is the construction management company there. We have a very qualified construction manager who has been very good at communicating what's going on there. So the adjustment really has been the lack of travel and lack of site visits. From, a, from the design standpoint, where our projects are under design, I think they've been less impacted because through the video calls, we've been able to have workshops, we've been able to get people on the line. You know, at our project in the Philippines, the master planner in Singapore, our design team in the UK, we've been able to have very constructive meetings, as, a, as I think everybody is doing worldwide through Zoom or whatever methods. So, the, yeah, the main adjustment has been how to continue the design and the construction approvals without being able to actually go and meet the clients and be on the sites. So you, you've been in the design industry for over 20 years. What do you see as necessary changes in providing golf course design services in the future? I mean, both short-term and long-term, uh, you know, aside from COVID uh, issues, what are do you see any major trends and any changes? Well, short-term, which I don't know how you define short-term, but as I just said, I think short-term is going to be a continuation of the past few months where we're going to have to be able to provide our services both in terms of design and construction supervision, but doing it without actually making site visits. And that's that's a big challenge for, you know, as I said, in the design stage, it's a little bit easier to do it remotely, but there's really no substitute for our design guys to get out there, get in the dirt and really, you know, look at bunkers, look at greens, um, you know, really see things that are happening on the ground, make adjustments. So that that is, that is a big challenge. So, you know, short term, we're going to have to rely on some of the things I just mentioned, you know, video calls, um, photos, all of those sorts of things. You know, long, long term, longer term. You know, I think what this, these past few months are teaching us is that, you know, the, it's going to be even more important. It always has been important, but it's going to be even more important to get key, you know, qualified personnel on site. 
So you're going to need to have good construction management people, good shapers. Um, you know, it's not, you know, some of our projects, we're able to put an actual site guy on site. We may have to consider, you know, having a, a person wearing a founder design hat being based full time on site. Um, I think there are some things happening in technology wise, whether it's, you know, digital mapping, different video technologies that maybe can be used. Uh, but I think that, I mean, those are the sort of things that um, I guess the past few months are teaching us and things that we're going to have to consider. But I, I am very hopeful that, you know, in the you know, not so distant future, and I guess people are saying, you know, maybe when there's a vaccine that we're going to be able to get back out there because in the golf course design business, there really is no substitute for being on site, especially during during construction. And, and what's the current climate for new golf course development in Asia? How's how's the pipeline looking? Well, I say surprising. Surprisingly, it's been uh, it's been a, a you know recently it's been relatively buoyant. Um, just in the past few weeks, um, you know, I left Singapore just three weeks ago and uh, have been at my home here in the U.S. and uh, do plan to go back to Singapore as soon as possible when when you know regional travel opens up again. But just in the past few weeks, um, you know, a few new leads have come up. So we have two, you know, we have two new potential golf course developments we're hearing about in Thailand. We have, uh, you know, three new ones that have just recently come up in Vietnam. Uh, developers are, are going ahead with their planning. They're asking for proposals. So that has been very encouraging. I think, um, you know, as everybody in the golf industry knows, Vietnam is, is the key market for us, especially in Asia Pacific, but maybe even worldwide. And I think, you know, I think that will continue for a little while longer. Vietnam is very important to all of us. Thailand, Korea, I think are also markets that are going to provide opportunities for new golf course development. The Middle East, um, Saudi Arabia, um, obviously Golf Saudi has come out with their big grand plans of developing up to 20 golf courses. So I think Saudi Arabia is a very interesting market for everybody. It will be an interesting market for everybody in the golf industry. And then, of course, renovation. Um, you know, a number of the golf courses throughout Asia, especially Southeast Asia, are maybe 30 years old now. So there have already been a number of renovation projects. And I think more and more golf courses, you know, again, financially permitting because there are going to be challenges financially. But a number of these golf courses are going to prevent renovation opportunities for for golf course designers. Do you see any trends on the renovation side as far as I mean, you have, you know, older golf courses that were built possibly for private membership and and now maybe like a lot of business models are moving to semi-private, et cetera. Do you see any trends as far as the renovations and how people are moving, uh, the owners and the committees are moving in towards the renovation and how is that affecting your design? Well, I think what's happening in renovation is that, you know, golf courses need to be modernized. So mm -hmm. you're seeing, um, you know, renovations being made for various reasons. Some could be made for technology reasons, uh, just the fact that the golf ball is going much further now. So there needs to be some adjustments to allow for more length, which has really happened in the game over the last 30 years. I think, you know, there's, there's a, you know, a big push, I think, to environmentally. Um, a number of golf courses that were built maybe 25, 30 years ago had a lot more turf than you would do on a new golf course. So reducing, reducing the area of turf on golf courses, so you can reduce water usage and chemical usage and you know, trying to put in maybe more landscape that uh, is more environmentally sensitive. There's a big movement towards that. Um, you know, removal of trees. A, a lot of times, uh, golf courses mature, and you'll, you know, landscape will become overgrown. So there, there's been a lot of movement worldwide in taking out, you know, removal of trees. There, there also are some instances where, you know, I know it's been a big thing in Australia where golf courses have become have 
have uh, have had certain financial pressures on them. So they're looking at possibly, you know, seeing if they could resize or renovate the golf course to to provide development opportunities. So they may take one or two of the holes and create a development opportunity uh, so that they can, you know, maximize the financial return, which necessitates maybe rerouting some of the golf course. So there's a lot of different things happening uh, in renovation and different reasons for renovation. Um, and um, that should provide, you know, a lot of opportunities for golf course designers throughout the region. And uh, not to, uh, on a question on grass selection and not, not a, a, any recommendation on which grass, but, you know, how involved does the designer get involved in, in grass selection? And, and how do you think that process should work when you're talking to an owner or a committee who has a preference, uh, you know, that they've seen? How do you work with the owners, et cetera, and, and committees on grass selection? Well, we, we try to make it very clear to golf course owners that we are a golf course designer. We are not agronomists. And, you know, in our design agreements, we also make it very clear that the golf course owner must hire an agronomic consultant. So we, we really try and stay out of the business of recommending which grass uh, is the best grass because it's a very technical thing. You know, we need to get a, an, agronomic, an agronomic expert on board who can study weather, who can study soil, uh, who can really, you know, who really is up to speed on all the latest technologies around grass. So as a golf course designer, we really try to stay out of and we really avoid making any specific recommendations. Uh, once an agronomic consultant maybe gives a few choices for greens and um, you know other parts of the golf course, we may we may weigh in with our with our feedback on those choices. But we really you know we really encourage and actually require that for all of our projects, uh, you know, a qualified agronomic consultant is brought on board to to really make those recommendations. Oh, okay, that's interesting, um, Mark. You know. Before we uh, we let you go, you were a founding board member of the Asian Golf Industry Federation. Um, maybe you can give uh, us a, a background of the origins and the intents of what why the AGIF was was formed and and possibly some thoughts on how it's progressing and how it can improve in the future. Yeah, well, I I was part of uh, the founding, which uh, at the time was was very revolutionary. Um, you know, at that time. You know, people like Toro and Rainbird would not sit down in the same room. And maybe at the time I was with IMG, we might not sit down with Nicholas Design in the same room. But the idea was that by, you know, with all of us cooperating, you know, being open, um, you know, if, if we can help develop the golf industry as a whole, all of us are going to benefit. So I think the, you know, the, 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 the founding ethos of the AGIF was really to try and come together as an industry to um, you know, promote the virtues of the golf industry because you know I think it still happens today. But at that time, also there's a lot of negative publicity about golf, especially at that time. I think we were getting into that in China, where golf was getting a bad name. So we wanted to you know sing the virtues of the golf, get together and sing the virtues of the golf industry in terms of job creation, in terms of environmental benefit, and not destruction, and all different things. So. The fact, you know, the founding, um, you know, the idea was to bring everybody in in all parts of the golf industry. So I was a founding board member representing IMG, and at that time I was heading up, you know, IMG Golf Course Design and Management business, but also was involved in the event side. Uh, we had some representatives. I remember from the uh, manufacturing side. Of course, we had uh, the you know golf golf uh, management equipment people like uh, you know the Toros and the Jacobsons and irrigation as well. 
So it really was a, a broad, you know, a broad array of everybody in the golf industry. And I think it was a, it was a good thing that we got everybody in the golf industry involved to start with, but also it was a bit of a challenge because I think in the first few years, the AGF was really trying to find itself what it was all about. And it was challenging because, you know, the, the, the head of uh, a Kushnet in the region had a very different um, mission on what was going to bring value than, say, you know, the head of Toro. So, um, you know, the, the, I think the AGIF went in a, in a lot of different directions in the early years. Uh, one, of, and, and I was involved, now you're testing my, my, my history, but I think I was involved for four or six years to two or three terms on the board. Uh, but one thing I can say, um, one thing I can say is that I, I believe, you know, the, the AGIF did find, its, did find its niche in terms of education uh, in terms of focusing on certain aspects of the golf industry, which I think was a necessary move. And, um, you know, I've mentioned this to you personally before, but I, I, you know, I've been very impressed with, you know, what's happened to AGIF in terms of the professionalism, you know, at the, at, you know, the original founding, we were, you know, we had a board and we had volunteers, but there were no, there was not a CEO, um, like yourself, there was no staff. So it was more challenging getting things done. So, the AGF was able to bring people on board and create a little management team, which has been a, a great thing. And, um, you know, and I do think, you know, what I'm seeing recently in terms of, you know, the professionalism, what, what you guys have been doing with online content, with things like podcasts and webinars and, um, you know, just all the things you've been doing, especially during the past few months when, when we've all been forced to, you know, go online and do these. I've, I've been impressed with um, sort of the, you know, the way the AGIF has reacted uh, and is supporting the golf industry. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, I mean, with that, I mean, uh, uh, we're ending on a, a very positive note and uh, we all um, we all appreciate the support of our members and a founding member such as yourself. We owe a great um, a debt uh, and gratitude as well. Um, so with that, I'd like to thank you for your time um, today and sharing your expertise. And as I say to all our, our podcast guests, uh, I look forward to seeing you face-to-face uh, -face in, 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 in as soon as possible. Thank you, Mark. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks, Eric. And uh, I think, yeah, the best place to meet will be uh, back at the golf course at SICC <laughs> in Singapore. <laughs> no doubt. Looking forward to that. All right, Mark. Thanks. Thank you very much. And uh, you and your family take care. Thank you. You too.